looking at uh, Jacob's ladder here in Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 22. We're going to be looking at this passage in two parts, one this morning and one this evening. We happen to be uh, studying this in the women's Bible study on Tuesday. And in the providence of God, I felt a little bit like Spurgeon this week and said, I'm just going to pick a text and preach it. And so here it is. Back in um, uh, the early church when Rome fell, I believe it was in 430 A.D., as the, the uh, barbarians approached uh, the great uh, capital of the empire, most of the leaders, including the emperor, all of them vanished. They fled from the city and left the city wide open to the Vandals and the Visigoths and the others who were marching to take their prize. But many in the church stayed, including the bishop of Rome, who took it upon himself in great bravery to go out and to meet the barbarians who were on the edge of the city ready to destroy it. And it was the bishop who implored and interceded for the people that their lives might be spared as the barbarians were clearly sacking Rome. And he was effective. And they spared some of the people. This is part of the of the fabric that went eventually into the idea that the Bishop of Rome is the Pope over the whole church. This would be part of the lore, the myth that, that led into this idea that there's this one visible earthly head. And the, the language that was applied to him is the term that we're going to see here today in, in Genesis chapter 28. He began to be called Pontifex. And that word Pontifex means bridge builder. And that developed into this crazy doctrine that there's this one man who is the bridge between heaven and earth, the head of the church, the pope, which we now know, you know, Eight, you know, 17, 1600 years later, the development of that doctrine. It's remarkable, in my estimation, the first true pope, as we understand what a pope is, would be Gregory the Great, some 130 years later after the fall of Rome. And Gregory the Great himself said, there is only one pontifex, and that one pontifex is Jesus Christ. He is the ladder. He is the stairway to heaven. He is the one between heaven and earth. And that's what we are studying here this morning in Genesis chapter 28 and this remarkable episode in the life of Jacob. I don't know if you have felt the strength of this passage in your own study, but you should. Many of us, when we think about Jacob's encounter with God, we immediately go with him wrestling the angel, wrestling God in Genesis chapter 32. But it's this passage that is so pivotal in the life of this patriarch. This is surely the passing of the covenant to Jacob as opposed to Esau. He had received the blessing from his father Isaac in the previous chapter, and now he is receiving this blessing from God himself in this very, very unique way. It's a striking passage. It's almost like a flower that blooms in the middle of a wilderness, of a desert. You have the desert of what's gone before. Here in the previous chapter, Jacob, at the, at the leadership of his mother, has deceived his father. It's a chapter filled with counterfeits. He is counterfeit in name, counterfeit in speech, counterfeit in the meal that he brings to his father. And when he's asked, who are you? He says, I'm Esau. And then the next chapter you're expecting as he's fleeing and God encounters him. If you were God, what would you have said to Jacob after that episode? 
Not this. It's remarkable, the grace that is shown. There's not a single word of reproof or rebuke. And that's one of the beauties of this passage. It is so full of grace, God dealing with a sinner who deserves the opposite of what the Lord gives to him. And then we see what takes place afterwards. If we think that somehow Jacob is getting away with something, boy, he's about to meet his match in Uncle Laban. The heel catcher has his own heel caught by his uncle as the story continues to unfold from here. It's just a remarkable thing as God encounters his servant. William still puts this chapter here as the very conversion of Jacob. This is his awakening to the reality of God in his life. I'm not sure if I can go that far. Maybe he was converted before. We don't know. But still makes this excellent point. He says, when we look at this and, and God doesn't deal uh, firsthand with, a, as it were, a punch to the face for his sins, we see this grace and still makes this remark, God is not put off by our sins. God is not put off by our sins. We may be put off by our sins. We may think that God is put off by our sins, but God himself is not so. He can deal with them, can't he? That's the message of this passage. Gospel faith is going out from ourselves and receiving from the Lord what is, um, what is his gift to us. And then also he goes on and says God's presence is not to be judged by our senses as he awakes from this dream and realizes surely the Lord was in this place and I did not know it. So what we're going to do this morning is to focus upon the dream, focus upon the ladder, focus upon what, um, what Jacob um, uh, experienced, how he felt as he put his head upon his rocky pillow and as he slept, what he saw, what he heard from God. And then tonight, Lord willing, we'll return and talk about his reaction to these things as he awakens from them. So this morning, it's focusing upon Jacob's ladder, which is the dream. And our three points are pretty simple. We're going to look at this passage and say, what does this mean to Jacob? What does this say to Jacob? What does this teach Jacob? Secondly, what does this say about Jesus? Because we read John's gospel, and it talks about this is applicable to Christ. Christ is that ladder. Christ is that stairway between heaven and earth. He is the only mediator between God and men. And thirdly, we're going to see what this passage then means to you. This is not just a great story that we're studying in the past. We're studying something that is for us. And I hope that we see that um, very clearly here today. So we come, first of all, to what this means to this troubled man, Jacob. And understand, Jacob is troubled. You should not miss this. Oftentimes when God meets with his people and revealing himself in a, in, in a way like this, and this is a revelation, this is not just any old dream. We have dreams. Some of our dreams are remarkably vivid. And we think, what is God telling us in those dreams? But there's a world of difference between having a very vivid dream because you ate too much pizza that night and having a dream where God himself is speaking to you. I remember when I was a boy of four or five years of age, I had such a vivid dream of flying without any aid. I was so convinced that I had flown. I went to my parents and tried to convince them that it had taken place. So 
getting back here to this dream. He is troubled, and we need to kind of read between the lines. When God reveals himself to his servants, oftentimes the first thing out of the Lord's lips are, fear not. And that's not here. But it seems pretty clear that what's going on here is that Jacob is troubled. He's stepping out of his own home for the first time. He is a 500-mile trek from Beersheba, where he had been raised, and he's going to this strange land. He doesn't know what's before. He knows what's behind. A couple things we can highlight here. Number one, we know that he was something of a mama's boy. Esau, on a trek like this, he he was like a macho man. He would love a trip like this. Absolutely. Let's go for it. No big deal. But not, not this man. He was, I think, quite clearly frightened in these, uh, in these matters. He was a tender homebody. He was closest to his mother, and now his mother's not here. And God's going to enter in and say, I will be with you. That kind of gives us a clue. Secondly, he's a troubled man. We just saw that he is a deceiver in his name, and he's been living up to that name. Plus, he has trouble ahead. He, at the end of his life, he says to Pharaoh, few and evil have been my days. But that's not today, not here. He's troubled. And then he is a weak man. He doesn't seem to have a lot. He doesn't even have a pillow with him as he's made this trek. He's exposed to dangers. You know, we can certainly romanticize this picture very easily and say, oh, to sleep beneath the stars. Oh, to have the the woods as, as the walls of my bedroom. And to have a rock for my pillow. Really? Have any of you slept with a rock for a pillow? Raise your hand. Ooh, we got two. How was it? You said, you said, man, I'm bringing this home with me. I'm going to put that right on my Serta sleeper. No, of course not. So here he is, he's troubled, and God comes and answers all of these things in this very rich and profound way in what he sees and in what he hears from the Lord. What God says to him is just so filled with blessing. Um, is he, does he feel the loss of family and friends? God says to him, I will be with you. He is leaving what is familiar of his home, his country. And God says, I will give you this land, which you right now are lying upon, this patch, this and much more beside. He doesn't seem to have a lot of wealth, doesn't have station in life. He's a stranger in a strange land. And yet God says to him, you are going to spread forth east, west, north, south. Against his solitary condition then, He has nobody. He doesn't have a wife. He does not have children. Nevertheless, God says to him, your seed will be as the dust of the earth. How is that possible? Well, in a word, it's possible because of Christ. And all of these promises that are made to Abraham, Isaac, and now to Jacob are in Christ. And we'll talk about that when we get to our second point. But clearly, this is a comforting word, a comforting vision, and it begins with what he sees. It's a, it's a very vivid picture as, as uh, Moses uses the word hene, behold, over and over again. Uh, you see it in, in, uh, at the end of in verse 12 and the beginning of verse 13. He had a dream, and behold, a ladder. 
Look, a ladder. And then see, here, is a, here are angels that are going up and down upon that ladder. And look at this. The Lord stands above it and begins to speak. That's the vividness. That's the liveliness of this passage here as these things are revealed to him. He is beholding these things, and they are making this impression upon him. And they need to make an impression upon us as we look at this unexpected, surprising, unsought grace to this man. This man wasn't seeking God, at least as far as we can tell, but God seeks him. We are supposed to seek God. We're supposed to chase after him. We're supposed to seek his face. But understand something, whenever we seek God, it's only because God has first sought us. No man comes to Christ unless the Father draws him, says John chapter 6 and verse 44. And so here is God revealing himself to his servant, showing this great unsought grace and bringing forth such blessings and riches uh, unto him. So that's the first picture and the first point that we bring out here in this passage today, what this meant to uh, Jacob. Jacob sees this as such a pivot in his life, and that flows out in his response, which, Lord willing, we'll come back to tonight. Uh, this touched him deeply, and it shapes him and molds him. No doubt there's more growth that has to take place. There are issues that, that, that happen when he is in Haran with his uncle, but nevertheless, this is a great spiritual blessing that he receives, and we are permitted to look in on these things and to enjoy them. This leads us then to our second point of how this really is pointing ultimately uh, to the Lord Jesus. Jesus is this ladder. All the blessings that the Old Testament saints enjoyed come through the promise of one who would be the Savior. So the idea that somehow in the New Testament, the grace that we have, the salvation that is ours, is remarkably or qualitatively or quantitatively different doesn't really fly with what the Bible teaches. Christ was in the Old Testament. Christ is in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. Christ is with Noah in the ark. Christ is with Abraham, Isaac, and here with Jacob. Christ is with the children of Israel under Moses in the wilderness. He was that rock. He was that water. He was that, that manna. And we see him clearer in the New Testament, but it's the same salvation, the same Savior. And that's the picture that we're seeing here. The picture of Christ being the way to heaven, a ladder, or better, really, the word ladder would be better rendered as a stairway. He is the stair up to God, and he is the stair of God to us. Both of these things come into play. The latter is Christ. He is the only mediator between God and man. It's not angels. It's not saints. It's not your good deeds that travel up this ladder and present you before God. It is the Lord Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. He is no mere prophet pointing the way, as the Muslims say, but he is the way. He is the truth. He is the, the, the path. He is indeed greater than all of the angels combined. And as Jesus tells Nathaniel, you will see the angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. He is the new and the living way. That's the picture to be drawn from this passage 
as we think about Christ. I want us to consider how Jesus is a ladder unto us. And here I borrowed several points from Philip Henry, who is the father of the great commentator Matthew Henry. Um, We have nine points, Freddie. You ready? Nine points. Three with the letter L. Three with the letter F. Three with the letter S. You ready? Jesus is the, the ladder. First of all, he is a living ladder. The way to heaven is not an it. It is a person. It is a him. He is the new and the living way. He is not a dead way. He did die. He did taste death for us, but he now lives and has an everlasting life for us. He is, secondly, a long ladder. He reaches all the way to heaven. He reaches all the way to earth. Many exegetes talk about Christ's humiliation and coming down to the lowest parts of the earth, even in his death and suffering for us and being buried. And he is the one who effectively brings us to heaven, brings us to the Father. Uh, A.W. Pink says he comes right down to where the fugitive lay. That's where the ladder came. And right up to God himself, the ladder reached. He is a long ladder, a living ladder, a lasting ladder. This ladder does not grow old like some of our wooden ladders. Uh, Do they even make wooden ladders anymore? This one never rots. This one never decays, is never worn out. It's ever new. It's ever fresh, ever green. Jesus Christ, the same Yesterday, today, and forever. He is as strong as ever. He is able to save to the uttermost all who come to him. To him, And then, fourthly, we get into the three F's. He is a free ladder. You don't have to pay a price to lay hold upon this staircase, this banister, as you make your way to the Father through Jesus. It is all of grace, and you certainly see that here. Jacob, this could have been a ladder down to hell, If God treated him as he deserved, but he rather treats him mercifully, gives him what he doesn't deserve, withholds from him what he does, and shows grace. It's a free ladder. It is a firm ladder. It's able to save the heaviest. Even the heaviest sinner is not going to stumble there. We had one of our members, one of our elders, had a terrible slip on a ladder. Is this bringing back painful memories to you? Mr. You-know-who-you-are. You'll never slip on this ladder. This is a firm, stable ladder. And then it's a full ladder. As the picture in the dream was filled with angels, angels ascending and descending, angels, as it were, reporting to God uh, how the kingdom of God is progressing and descending with messages and and tasks to be done uh, joyfully for the church. This speaks about the fact that God in and, and, and Christ has everything at his, at his disposal to bless his people. Whether if it takes an angel to bless you, he can even use a devil for your good if that's necessary. As Paul found out regarding the thorn in the flesh. So it is a free ladder, a firm ladder, and a full ladder. And then there's three more. It is a salvific ladder. Three S's. All who step onto this ladder are saved. All of them. Everyone who comes to Christ. Jesus says, I will no wise cast you out. The reason why some who profess Christ forsake him and are not Christians is because they never came to him in the first place. All who come are saved to the uttermost. It is salvific. It is safe 
None stumble who come to him. He safely brings us all the way to heaven. And then, ninthly, it is a solitary ladder. There are so many fake ladders of salvation that are offered to men in our world. Like the Tower of Babel seeking to reach up to the heavens, but they will fail. He is the only way. There is no other way to the Father but to come through Christ and through Christ alone. He is the solitary way, and he is the one who provides for us in this, in this uh, glorious fashion. So see here, brethren, what this means as we draw near to Christ, that Jesus is now the nexus between God and man, between heaven and earth. In fact, he has ever been since the fall. He is the stairway uh, to heaven. He is the pontifex maximus. He is the bridge builder, as Gregory the Great himself uh, said. This brings us then uh, to our third point, and that is how this applies to you and to me. Um, we said at the beginning that this isn't just a story for us to look at and say, isn't this fascinating uh, for Jacob? Isn't this an awesome kind of thing that he's experiencing? Well, yay for him, good for him. There is a beautiful passage in the book of Hosea. I think it's Hosea chapter 12 and verse 4. And I was shown this by one of my favorite little beautiful books on the topic of prayer, written by a New England congregational uh, pastor by the name of Austin Phelps. Austin Phelps wrote this beautiful little devotional book on prayer called The Still Hour. And in that book, he highlights this passage in Hosea, where Hosea writes, God spoke to us at Bethel. How in the world could a prophet centuries after this event say God spoke to us when he spoke to Jacob? Because God treats us corporately. He treats us as one. He speaks to us. This passage is for you. You who are troubled. You who are, are um, facing difficulties in your life. Like Jacob was. Dangers behind. Dangers ahead. Trials above. Trials below. And so forth. This is for you. This is a passage that should comfort you. Boyce says that as we look at Jacob's experience... I want you to see that God is also with you. You may be on the verge of mental collapse, says James Montgomery Boyce, but although you cannot sense it, God is with you right now. You may be quite ill. You may be misunderstood by your friends. You may be abandoned by a husband, a wife, by your children. Even the church may have turned its back on you. You may have lost a job. You may need work. You may be discouraged. You may have so little self-worth that you feel that no one will ever care for you again. You may even be listening, he says, to the old Yiddish proverb that says, If one man calls you a donkey, pay him no heed. If two men call you a donkey, pay them no heed. If three men call you a donkey, buy a saddle. You may be ready to do that. You may already have bought the saddle, he says. But I want you to hear God speaking. Where you are now can be 
a gate of heaven. Jacob went to sleep that night, never imagining what God was about to reveal to him. God breaks into our lives in this way, and we need to seek him and call out to him. And just as God revealed himself to Jacob in Christ, so are we to come to Christ. We are to pillow ourselves upon the Christ of the promise and the promises of Christ. These things are for us and for our children. You lie down, restful, in faith. You pillow your head, your life, on the breast of your Savior. The promises of Christ are full of soft yeses and amens to you. You are not to turn from them. You're not to say, isn't that a pretty picture on the wall? You're to come and to rest in them and to receive them. Find peace now by faith in him, and you find your very best dreams surpassed by a long shot, by a heaven shot. God has reached all the way down to where you are. And he plucks us up in the words of the opening lines of Galatians. He brings us up and out of this present evil age and sets us in heavenly places. Here are journeying mercies. Here's a man who's moving from one place to another. Here's a passport of God's promises. As you go out, as you come in, I will be with you. I will be gracious to you. I will bless you beyond words. His own presence, his own keeping in all of your ways. He is your escort. He gives angels charge over you. And he is bringing you to heaven through his son. How do we lay hold upon this ladder? What is this house of God that we must enter? How do we get through the the gates of heaven? I am, we're going to have to talk about this tonight. I am just really disappointed in one of my favorite exegetes, John Calvin. He says the house of God is, is, is the gospel, gospel grace. And the gates to get into the gospel are... You want to guess what he said? The sacraments. I like Luther's response. The the sacraments are not the gates to paradise. He found the gates to paradise in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Faith. Faith. The two hands that lay hold upon the rung of a ladder. When you get on a ladder, Tim, is this right? You tell us. When you get on a ladder, you usually you're, you're, you're putting your hand on the ladder first. What are the two hands that lay hold upon Christ? It is faith and the Spirit. That's union with Jesus. Jesus sends his Spirit that quickens us and gives us faith, and faith lays hold upon him. And then the, the feet that go on the rungs, that step upon the stairway to heaven. What is that but the new nature now that we have? And the new life then that flows from that new heart. A life now that is accepted by God because of the finished work of Christ. And we are raised and justified in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how this applies to us. Are you looking to Christ in this way? By faith and trusting in his spirit being given to you that you might continue in the ways of the Lamb of God. I close with a a charge to those who think that they don't need Jesus, who are building their own stairway to heaven. 
who have their own ladders, whether, whether it be uh, rituals, um, a tradition that you have. There are many who, every Sunday, they're in church, dressed prim and proper, and they go through the motions. But it's just external. It's not, I'm really connected to my Savior. I'm connected to a church. I'm connected to a, a body of people. But it becomes a little, little bit better than a social club with a religious flavor about it. There are those who turn to mysticism of climbing up. And there are many rationalists in our day and age who say, look, if there's a heaven at all, and if there's a God, and people get into that heaven, I'm going to rationalize that I have a pretty good chance of getting in there myself, which rejects the revelation of God that says that only those who come through Christ can be saved. And I get it. I understand where people are coming from when they say that. They're saying, my sins really aren't that big of a deal. My sins don't have to be dealt with in God's way. I can deal with them. And the Bible is, boy, what a long-standing, so different from all the other ancient documents, constantly saying you cannot be saved by your works. You cannot be saved by your effort. You cannot be saved by being good enough. All the other religious ancient texts constantly are saying you're saved by being good enough. You're saved by your righteousness. But the Bible alone says it's all of grace. Jacob the deceiver. Jacob the liar. Jacob, this man who is at a distance from God. God pulls him to himself and saves him with a glorious redemption. And that, that's something for which we ought to be very joyful. And all of it given as a gift and to be received by faith and by faith alone. Let's pray as we close. Father, thank you for this passage. May it ring in our hearts. May we see that Jesus is the ladder to glory and he alone. Help us, Lord, to draw more fully to you. Help us to enjoy all the means of grace that you give to us, the word preached, prayer, and the sacraments, which are a blessing to us. But, Lord, all of these things are, are to be found in our union and communion with Jesus, that we are united to you, Lord, by your spirit laying hold upon us and our faith laying hold upon you. We thank you for these new lives, new lives for old. You've turned us from being Jacob's to Israel's, to those who are princes with God, mighty with the Lord, and help us, Lord, to live up then to our high calling. And, Lord, if any are hearing this who are not converted, help them, Lord, to know that you are a God who stoops to the neediest, to the lowest. O oh, Lord, convict of sin in this world. Show the great danger, the horrible sore that hangs over every eternal soul that is outside of Christ. And yet, Lord, to all those who come to Jesus, what wonderful salvation is theirs, where the sword has been once for all buried uh, in the life of Christ on the cross, that he took the wrath, he took the sins, he took those things and buried them far away as the east is from the west. And now, Lord, we are complete in him. Father, thank you for receiving us. Thank you for the gift of Jesus. Thank you that he is the ladder that reaches the lowliest and brings to the highest. As we pray all these things in his wonderful name, amen.